Welcome to the Eyes on Retina podcast series by Boeinger Ingelheim. Vision impairment and blindness caused by retinal diseases can have a profound and devastating impact on the lives of patients, their families, and society as a whole. More than 2 billion people worldwide have a vision impairment or blindness, and at least 1 billion could have actually been prevented. Globally, the prevalence rates of retinal diseases are expected to increase over the next 10 years, primarily due to aging populations and a global diabetes epidemic. In this podcast series, we hear from a range of ophthalmology experts involved in the care of people living with retinal diseases, as well as people living with these conditions and the organizations involved in providing them with information and support. Hello, my name is Professor Peter Kaiser. I'm the Cheney Family Endowed Chair in Ophthalmology Research and Professor of Ophthalmology at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine. Today, I'll be hosting this episode of Eyes on Retina, the Societal Impact of Retinal Diseases. In everyday life, we rely heavily on our ability to see. As soon as our vision is impaired, even slightly, our lives have to change. This means a loss of independence or an inability to continue in the same job. Some may not even be able to work at all. Vision impairment carries with it economic consequences. In an era where healthcare costs continues to be subject to scrutiny, we need to better understand the broader impact of retinal diseases and vision loss. These chronic conditions often lead to lifelong costs, and where vision loss is age-related, an aging population will add to that burden. The good news is that breakthrough research into new therapies and genetics, alongside the unwavering support of patient organizations, are changing the course of these life-changing diseases for the better. But before we explore the societal impact of retinal diseases further, I would like to pause and introduce today's guest. Today, I'm joined by Karen Denton. Karen is a member of Retina South Africa, which is part of Retina International, and brings with it a wealth of experience in terms of patient counseling and education, especially with retinal diseases. Welcome, Karen. Thank you, and thank you for your very kind introduction and for including me in this wonderful outreach. I'm honored to be in a position to share my thoughts and my views in this very challenging field. Wonderful. So in order for our listeners to get to know us a little better, I have a question we'll call an icebreaker. Those affected by vision loss naturally compensate by relying on their other senses. The link between taste and sight is widely debated. But for most of us, taste is an extremely pleasurable sense. Is there a particular taste, food, restaurant memory that evokes a fond memory for you? Well, being a South African, there actually are so many. But I would narrow it down to the South African tendency to celebrate anything and everything with a braai. That's a barbecue. So that sizzling smell immediately starts making one feel and almost taste the the bride that is to come and brings back memories of holidays, celebrations, the good times past, and anticipation also of those in the future. That's such a wonderful memory. I have a similar memory in terms of, uh, you know, I'm a half Japanese, and when I go to Tokyo, I love kind of just exploring some of the side streets and these little uh, we'll call them dive sushi restaurants, but they're not really dive. They're better than anything we have in the United States. And I, 
I distinctly remember once uh, walking near the Tokyo train station mm-hmm. and, and walking into a sushi restaurant there and, and just sitting down at the bar. The, the, the sushi chef spoke no English. I unfortunately speak no Japanese. And so just with hand signs, we were able to order and I had one of the most amazing sushi meals that I could still taste to this day. Uh, so really that that the the neurologic impulses that are made with something that you eat is something instantly recognizable. So let's talk about retinal diseases. And, you know, the societal impact is oftentimes difficult for many people to understand. So with your extensive experience working with people who have retinal diseases, what are some of the day-to-day limitations or difficulties uh, that they experience? You know, you can actually answer that in a full day, but I'll start with my answering in one sentence. Visual disruption impacts every single aspect of every single day for those who are affected. And if people want to know what this feels like, maybe all families, friends, and loved ones who have someone in their midst, in their social sphere, who has a retinal problem, should wake up one day and either smear Vaseline or something like that on their glasses or wear a blindfold for the day, just for one day, and see what it feels like and how they cope, and then realize that the person affected doesn't have the choice of removing that blindfold, removing those, um, cleaning their glasses and carrying on with life in a visual world. That's so true. And, and if you really think about it, you know, outwardly, these patients who may have trouble with their vision look totally normal. Exactly. Uh, there's nothing about their physical appearance that looks any different from any of us. Uh, they simply have a, a decrease in vision and in some cases, actually blindness. Uh, you know, when do patients come to you and your organization uh, with their retinal diseases? At what stage? They arrive at us very sadly far, far, far too late. Very few people seek assistance when they could. In fact, in fact, they're often diagnosed far too late. But even when they are, far too many people say to me, oh, my doctor told me just to go home. I'm going to go blind, live with it. And they don't realize that there is so much that they could be learning from that early date, that they could have mobility training, that they could have assistance in technology. And in fact, this just makes me think of a young guy that we're talking about right now. He's in his final year at school. He was, in fact, diagnosed 12 years ago when he was just in kindergarten, and he has never been taught any assistive technology. He's never been taught Braille. He's never been taught to touch a computer. In fact, at his home, they have three or four computers, and he has never been allowed to touch one. Any reading that is done for him is done by his mother, and he is left as a total passive participant in everything that happens. And that is, in my opinion, a tragedy. And I do wish it were an isolated case, but it's not. I mean, that's that situation is 
is really one that that as a retina specialist, unfortunately, we see, which is, you know, the parents trying to protect their child. But in, in reality, they're not preparing them for being uh, really able to cope with blindness. And, and I think the, the issue here for many of our retinal diseases, early treatment leads to better visual results. And in general, with most of our uh, diseases with appropriate treatment, the, the, the total loss of vision really isn't there. So how do you think uh, we can get to our listeners and, as a, and the world in general to raise awareness for retinal disease and encourage people to seek help sooner? Um, well, I think there are two branches to that answer if I think about it. First of all, I think all young adults in this day and age should be screened regularly for retinal damage because of the amount of time that is spent on computers, on devices, on cell phones, on all of these, these devices. And as we know, the blue light within those does cause some harm. And this harm is only picked up very often when it's too late. Similarly, People who have a history or a tendency to develop diabetes, very often they are only diagnosed with diabetes when they start having a visual problem. So if they had gone for uh, to a good ophthalmologist or a good optometrist to have a look at the retina, make sure that things aren't going wrong there, there's no near vascularization, et cetera, et cetera, those so many things can be diagnosed long, long, long before the patient is even aware of it. So my feeling is that if more people were screened more regularly, we would pick up more problems and prevent more and more disasters. Now you're preaching to the choir here, Karen, because I couldn't agree more. The the issue, especially with diabetes, is the undiagnosed. So we know that diabetes is a worldwide epidemic. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is many of these patients now don't even know they have diabetes, first of all. And and even if they know they have diabetes, don't realize that even at the point where they're diagnosed, they need to start having ophthalmic exams, even when they see perfectly. Um, you, You don't have to have a loss of vision to see an ophthalmologist and already need treatment. And, and I think that fact is lost. Exactly. Exactly. And then the other simple things that people should take note of, and that is um, lifestyle adaptations and not eat all the rubbish that we tend to reach for, the the fatty foods, the simple carbohydrates, the things, the comfort foods that people really enjoy. And then especially during the last seven months, becoming couch potatoes and not venturing out at all, not even for a walk here and there. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I hate to think what's going to come out of this from a a visual standpoint. Well, in in addition, you know, macular degeneration is is one of the leading causes of legal blindness uh, worldwide. And, and, you know, I see patients all the time who come to me for second opinions who say, I was just diagnosed – with macular degeneration. And as you said earlier in the broadcast, they were told, you know, you're going to go blind, sell your car, uh, go home. There's nothing we can do about it. And, and I really want our listeners to understand that that's the furthest thing from the truth. We, we have treatments for this disease. We're, we're constantly working on new treatments for this disease. And being part and plugged into the system is very important, number one. And number two, the fact of the matter is most patients with macular degeneration do not lose vision. And I think that's a very important thing 
uh, for people to understand. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm, I'm curious about Retina South Africa. How does your organization work to support patients in managing their retinal disease as well as improving their quality of life? We're a very small team, but we believe that we have quite a powerful impact. Um, We do a lot of education on the subject. And um, to just refer back to what we were speaking about a moment ago, we are currently embarking on an information um, dissemination that we are trying to send out through every possible platform that we can. And luckily, one of the major movie chains will be showing short, pithy statements from us on both the big screen and also on the small screen. But we are also involved in a lot of radio. In fact, um, I just did two radio broadcasts this weekend. We do a lot of um, TV, newspaper, newsletters, and we try and attend as many functions as we can where we can spread more and more and more knowledge. So knowledge, awareness, and we also fight very hard on behalf of the patient and to make sure that every single person in this country who is diagnosed with any problem gets fair and equitable um, treatment and, yes, appropriate treatment, which sometimes is lacking. And there we have become quite a voice as well. We've had a lot of support from the ophthalmologists around the country in that. And it is becoming quite quite a winning battle to the extent that um, we are one of the people who was recently consulted um, regarding our new NHI program, which will be the National Health Insurance Program, to be rolled out within four years. So we managed to get onto that platform as well. And then we do a lot of individual counselling, a lot of telephonic counselling, a lot of, um, at the moment we're not doing face-to-face because of the, the pandemic. But, yeah, we keep pretty busy in all spheres that you can imagine. What got you involved in Retina South Africa? <laughs> My background, I spent 35 years in favor, a little bit longer, I hate to say how old I am, um, teaching diabetes around the world at different institutions, hospitals, conferences, um, which is what took me to the States a lot. I used to guest lecture, but this was before your time, before diabetes became the problem that we knew it would be and tried to curtail at the time with knowledge. And um, when I returned from a stint in the Middle East, Retina South Africa asked me to join them. And I first was a little reluctant because I thought, nah, I'm retiring now. That's enough. And then I thought, nah, I don't think I'm ready to retire. Let's join them. And it's been wonderful. I've really, really enjoyed the new challenge. Nothing like taking on a new career aged at the time 73. (laughs) Well, the passion uh, you have for this, uh, I'm sure all the patients uh, are really thankful that you're part of Retina South Africa. Many organizations that work with patients with visual disabilities are funded through private donations, charitable events, etc. What 
changes do you think we need to make at a societal level to better support your organizations as well as patients with retinal diseases? I think, first of all, people need to be aware of retinal disease, what it is, what risk so many of them have for this, and that it is in their hands to assist, to help, to be able to support us financially with manpower, etc., etc., in trying to curtail or prevent birth diabetes and the effects of um, AMD and problems like that. And also to help people to realize that even if you do have visual loss, you don't necessarily have to even make a change at work. You can move into a different sphere, a different area, etc., etc. The retinal problem affects your eyes, I often say to people, and not your brain. And we have, for example, a GP, a general practitioner who was recently diagnosed and had to cease practicing as she was, um, but is now um, working very successfully in in fact, in Cape Town, as a GP in a completely different sphere. Um, we also recently, well, a couple of years ago now, had um, a young pilot who was devastated when he lost vision, and he was, I think, 31 or 32. But he's now working on simulators and things like that and coping really well and helping to teach and assist other other pilots in his chosen sphere. So, yes, we always try to find a way to assist people and to get the public to be aware that their input is required because every single one of them is at risk every single day. You never know what tomorrow holds for you, especially if you have a family history of any of these diseases. That's so true. Now, vision is obviously a sense that we, we, we rely on. And that's why we're talking about this today. But I don't think our listeners understand that it also affects other aspects of health and well-being. Could you kind of go through some of the areas that are affected by vision loss? The old saying is your eyes are the window to the soul, but they're also the guide for your entire system to function in the way that it should. And not only are the risks of accidents, of burning yourself, bumping into things, tripping over things, falling, all the obvious things, um, very, very marked in people with a visual problem, especially now with COVID, with people who have to walk around and find their orientation and their, their spatial ability through touch um, puts them at much higher risk for infections, especially, as I've just said, during times like COVID. Those are the physical problems, but the fear of tomorrow, the lack of understanding from people around people compounds problems with a tremendous amount of anxiety, depression, and people often have to seek assistance for mental health problems that have been brought on or exacerbated by visual loss. 
So one of the things that I find troubling is is diabetes is the leading cause of vision loss in working age patients. Mm-hmm. And really what people don't realize is their vision loss and retinal disease dramatically affects their productivity and, and society's exactly. uh, productivity. Can you kind of bring this to life for our listeners and, and help them understand what this truly means when I say that? Naturally, even if a person is well-versed in technology and um, what the wonderful things that are available today, it is going to take just that much longer for that person to um, navigate their way around the computer, to formulate answers, to bring things to life. It just takes longer. The, the end result will still be fine. The, the time involved is an issue. Then also the, the necessary visits to, to doctors, to the ophthalmologist, also having to take time off work, um, sometimes an entire day to go to a clinic or a doctor and wait in the waiting room to impact also on the caregiver, the person who will drive them there and take them home again. It's, it's quite a broad effect that is not insurmountable, but does require understanding and patience from people who work with and live with people who, who are afflicted with one or other form of visual loss. So what, what is one thing, if you, if you had the ability to broadcast worldwide, that society as a whole should understand about retinal diseases? Probably two things. Number one, as I've mentioned before, and this is going to sound like a bit of a hobby horse, um, the awareness and that people must be aware that if they have a family history, if they're working on a computer, if they're busy with their smartphones, etc., that they should have their eyes checked regularly. Then if society is aware and can support programs like this, so awareness, knowledge, screening, and then simply living a much healthier life than we have a tendency to do. A healthy diet can go a long way to helping you with both AMD and with obviously diabetes. And then last but not least, to realize that people with vision loss are as capable, as smart as they would be with 20-20 vision. As one patient said recently to me, I've lost my sight. I have not lost my vision. That's a wonderful statement and one that I really hope our listeners uh, can relate to. And I think one of the things that, that I want to help uh, our listeners understand is, is how most of the diseases we're talking about um, have preventative strategies, as Karen mentioned, uh, in particular for diabetes and ta- in terms of ophthalmic preventative is, is simply seeing your eye doctor once a year. It's as simple as that. Uh, even if you're seeing perfectly, there's no reason not for you to be seen because oftentimes treatment needs to be instituted prior to vision loss. And if that treatment is instituted at that time, the risk of vision loss is actually very low. Uh, and for macular degeneration, uh, especially the dry form, we have uh, things as simple as, as you mentioned, of eating healthy, but also uh, taking special high-dose vitamins that reduces the progression to the late stage. 
And as I mentioned at the outset, we are working on many different treatments to actually hopefully prevent most of this vision loss that we're seeing long term. And some of these treatments can be super simple. So uh, many of the uh, ones in trials right now are pills or eye drops. Uh, Many of our treatments currently are injections, which scare people. Um, but in reality, is uh, with the eye being numb, is, is not a painful procedure. But in the future, we hope to have pills, drops, and other ways to prevent progression uh, and prevent the risk of vision loss. Well, Karen, this has really been an absolutely fascinating talk with you today. I I'm, I'm really want to thank you for your passion for our patients with retinal diseases. I can't thank Retina South Africa enough. Uh, for all that you all do to help patients. This is something that as a society we need to support, and I hope every one of our listeners will support in the future. But before we finish, uh, I'd like to ask, is there anything you'd like to add? Um, I would just ask you, what, in your opinion, are you most looking forward to in terms of um, forthcoming treatments or upcoming treatments for retinal diseases? Well, there's right now we have excellent treatments for diabetic macular edema and macular degeneration mm-hmm. in the form of injections of anti-VEGF agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is that patients get tired of these injections, uh, as is understandable. Uh, and so over time, the frequency of injections goes down. And when this occurs, the real-world studies have shown loss of vision over time. So to combat that, uh, most of our research these days is working on anti-VEGF agents that last for an extended period of time. We have uh, injectables now in trials that are lasting six to nine months per injection, which would be wonderful. We have gene therapy studies ongoing where maybe you do one treatment and you never need another. Uh, and so that's super exciting, especially for patients uh, with diabetes. And as I mentioned, we have both drops and pills, which will be a lot easier to administer at home and not need to come into the office uh, every month or two months like many of our treatments require. So hopefully what we can do is get the same visual outcomes in terms of maintaining or improving vision and preventing vision loss that we get with our current treatments, but having the ability to have a more durable Uh, with a lower treatment burden in in the future. So we're excited about that uh, in the future. Thank you. Do you have any information about the actual direct and indirect costs that are associated with retinal disease today? Well, absolutely. You know, unfortunately, people don't realize how much that vision impairment costs worldwide. It's been estimated to be about $3 trillion. That's with a T. Uh, And how could it be that high? Well, if you think about it, the average time it takes per visit for a patient um, can be anywhere from three to 12 hours. Uh, And the reason I say that long is because not only is there the preparation for the appointment, the travel time to the appointment, the wait time at the ophthalmologist's office and the treatment, but post uh, treatment, there's there's a recovery time. So it it can be a very long time. And, And this it doesn't even take into account the fact that that person can't go to work that day. The personal activities are, have to be adjusted because of it. So this direct health care cost, which includes the lost productivity, uh, is estimated to be about $2.3 trillion. And so this is about 
uh, a number that's really hard to even fathom. Uh, but that shows the societal impact of retinal diseases and, and one of the reasons why we're here talking about this. Yes, I agree with you. And I think that money could be far better spent. Um, and what we're looking at here is the direct cost of the disease worldwide. But we also need to just bear in mind that the costs do go beyond the dollars, the costs to personal relationships, employment, all the other aspects that we have um, touched on today are equally important. Perfect. So as we've heard today, the impact of living with a retinal disease extends far beyond the individual to family members, caregivers, as well as other parts of society. The earlier we diagnose these conditions, the more successful we can be in managing the long-term outcomes. A key element of early diagnosis of retinal disease is creating greater awareness. And really, I want to thank Karen, Retina South Africa, as well as other organizations that are out there doing this amazing work to raise awareness for patients with retinal diseases. And I want to hope that we can all support the ongoing research at these organizations, as well as the amazing education that they're giving us, society, as well as patients. So thank you again. Thank you. So you've been listening to the Eyes on Retina podcast series by Bollinger Ingelheim, episode now look at the societal impact of retinal diseases, where I have been joined by Karen Denton from the Retina South Africa. Don't forget to click subscribe if you enjoyed the podcast.